A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we are discussing another humbling defeat for Manchester United and asking what on earth it means for Eric Ten Hag. We'll also be debating a World Cup in Saudi Arabia, answering a few listeners' questions and looking ahead to Tottenham versus Chelsea. Joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that is the Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel, a former striker who scored 248 goals in 620 club appearances, Tony Cascarino, and a former defender who scored four goals in 360 <laughs> club appearances, Gregor Roberts. They were all crackers, though. But stopped many more. Stopped many more. <laughs> Thanks, Van. Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, you had a good one the other week with the whole Xavi and Iniesta <laughs> thing. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I just wanted to bring you back down to earth. Um, gentlemen, another day, another show and another opening gambit where we wonder what else can we say about Manchester United? Beaten 3-0 by a brilliant Newcastle side in the EFL Cup. Um Lost, lost again at home. Um, Martin, my opening question is, are we at the stage now where we're asking about Eric Ten Hag's future? No. No? no not, not in the least, because um, because we're all waiting for a chap who's got 25% of the club to turn up and, and, and tell us all what to do and, and where it's going to go. And that's where Manchester United are now. And it, it is, it's the most ridiculous situation, not because uh, I particularly want Eric Ten Hag to be out of work, um, but simply because that isn't even an option. There is, there is. I don't think any situation that Manchester United could get themselves into in the next couple of months, and unless maybe they lost every single game or something like that, where they would make a decision on, on whether Eric Ten Hag is the right man, because everyone is sitting around waiting for a guy to turn up and ostensibly run the football operations, who has got 25% of the club. It's like not being able to sell your house until you've heard from Bernie, the lodger in the spare room, on what he wants you to do about it. Because it, it, it's, it's, you know, this is, this is a club that has got to function for many weeks, many months, um, whilst we wait for this... Um, well, it's not a takeover, is it? It's a, it's a you know this buying to to take place, where we are told, or it is being briefed that he will have, you know, Ineos will have this great say over football matters and and, and football affairs and and everything, but we don't know that. That seems to be coming very much from the Ineos camp, and you know they would say that, wouldn't they? Um, so in terms of 
what happens with Eric Ten Hag, well, he carries on unless someone wants to do something very, very radical, like take advice from a bloke who doesn't even own, as far as I can see, a season ticket at the moment, let alone a, let alone a shareholding or, or, or whatever. Quite tricky to get a United season ticket, to be fair to you. Yeah. Almost well, as tricky would, as getting 25% of the club. I was going to say, <laughs> not if you're a billionaire, it's not. Um, I, I wouldn't have thought, I would have, you know, I was at Andy Murray's... Um, Wimbledon, you know, the first Wimbledon he won, Rupert Murdoch was sitting right in the front row in one of the greatest seats in, uh, <laughs> in, in one of the greatest seats in, in, in centre court. So I would think... And he got it in the ballot, I uh, well, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I would think if, if you've got a, a bit of money and influence, you can, you, can get a, you can get a ticket. I'm sure you're right. Uh, <laughs> Tony, delighted Tony, made no, that analogy. Martin's obviously making the point about Jim Ratcliffe and the mm. protracted takeover situation. It's something that Gregor has talked about before when, he, you know, it's a good caveat, it's a good asterisk, isn't it, around our analysis of Manchester United. But just just putting that to one side for a minute, the performance is on the pitch. And I wanted to ask you as well, because it's something we talked about on Monday show, Ten Hag's comments about this side can't play like my Ajax side. They're, they're made for more direct football. Yeah. This this week, to me, in my you know in my editing chair, when you know we be mischievous and try and create trouble for people, it, this feels to me like a week where it's starting to slip away from him a little bit. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's been happening for a long time. You only have to watch the opening game of the season against Wolves and you immediately alarm bells are ringing. Mm. Um, I look at a guy that I saw, it reminds me of the Riddler from Batman because he says things like like he did last week that this team has moved forward and I'm like, well, I can't see that. I'm, you, I must be watching different performances. I look at him bringing players and I was saying to Gregor before we come on that Last night, I just thought, I'd have a look over the transfers since he's been there. You know, we know he spent over 400 million, okay, but but then you look about, you look at what players have been sold for, and you think, well, it's a lot of 15 million sales, like Ilanga left for 15 million, you know, and then Dean Anderson went for 15 million. You know, these are Man United players, okay, they might not be good enough, and then you spend 50s and 60s and 70s on your players that you buy. The vultures hang over clubs when they overperform and they achieve. Just look at Brighton, look at Brentford and other clubs. They're, they're examples that when you're looking at their players, the vultures of other clubs looking over, we'll have him, we'll take him. Declan Rice at West Ham, we'll go and pay this. You know, that's what happens. I don't know of any player at Man United, and you'll probably have to say maybe Marcus Rashford, but who would be hanging over looking at them players to think, I'll take him, I'll take him. Hmm. I see low knees coming into the club uh, that are regular. I see Johnny Evans walk into a team. I ain't against a senior pro coming into a young side that is developing. Gary McAllister did that at Liverpool. He came in alongside Steven Gerrard, made a massive impact. I don't have a problem with that. But I have a problem with Johnny Evans coming to the club. Not because he's not a good player. He is. But I have a, a problem coming into quite clearly a dysfunctional dressing room. I mean, I still think Ronaldo got a lot right about where Man United are. I'm talking about the guy that was an un- incredible professional. Now, you might not go along that road and say, well, the disruption at Man United. Well, maybe that disruption started a long time ago of what was happening. And we're seeing loads off the field. We're not seeing performances on it. And I think you can you can look at the whole state of the club. And I'm just stunned because last night I'm watching and I'm, I wasn't surprised. Newcastle, and you said about you know giving credit, or we talk about credit. Newcastle changed their goalkeeper, their whole back four, a couple in midfield, and Isaac or Wilson didn't play up front. You know, and I know Man United made changes, but they're really eighty percent second. That was, I mean, 
some teams last night didn't play a Carabao Cup team. West Ham was yeah. was was pretty much their their first team, um, and, and a couple of others as well. But Newcastle, that is the absolute embodiment of their Carabao Cup team. Yeah. That really is the, the eleven they put out against Manchester United last night. Some ain't played for ages, and they murdered them. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. So that, but that's why I kind of come back to Ten Hag because you make excellent points about the off-field situation. Casually making points about players who are decreasing, if you like, in attract how attractive they are. But how much of that is Ten Hag's fault? No, but I'm just talking purely about that. To put these recent performances, you can factor all that in. But you know, you guys have been in dressing rooms. You tell me that has to be a managerial thing, doesn't it? What what instructions is he actually giving that team at the minute, both tactically and motivationally? That's what I'm trying to come to because we've talked a lot about the off the field situation. We've talked a lot about the transfers and things. I'm trying to think about what is new and what feels new to me is that this week it feels like we've moved slightly away from going. Yeah, but the poor bloke can't do anything about it. Well, I think the I think the thing is something that Martin wrote about actually this week about him contradicting himself about you know he, when he first arrived we saw he tried to play this brand of football that we'd recognised mm. at Ajax and he re- quickly realised. They weren't good enough to do it. Part of that was was about not having a goalkeeper who could who mm. could start building from the back. So he changed it this year, and it looked like they tried to do it again this year. And he's realised again, quick, pretty quickly, that they're not good enough to do it. So, well, that's that's his argument. You, you made yeah. you you argued very I, I, articulately I, 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 that, that yeah. that's maybe not. Uh, I think they're better than that. I yeah. do think they're better than. You know, we've got a Manchester United team that can't pass. I don't think that's true. But sorry, uh, well. I absolutely take your point, but I I also think that when 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 you're in a dressing room and Tony will maybe recognise this if if you as a, as a kind of group of players are are, are hearing that message or, or even mm. like he, he's tried to do it twice he's tried to change it twice and the, and the results haven't been forthcoming it sort of is a bit of a dent to the team's sort of confidence I would suggest mm. um, but I I, I start like I'm, I'm sound like a broken record on this you just still look through their team and and all the things that Tony speaking about are true and but I they're not Ten Hag's fault like no, but but this is what I'm coming to it, but, the team, know, but the team on the pitch matters Tom they've got Sergio Regulon playing left back they've got Han, Hannibal who in any other Manchester United era would never have had a first team appearance at Old Trafford and he's running around like a maniac they've got Anthony who he signed from Ajax but he say he signed him from Ajax because there's no there's no structure around them there's no like there's no Functioning re- recruitment department. There's no sporting director. Gary Neville referenced last night where you know he was walking up to the gantry and he he met Dan Ashworth on the way. Dan Ashworth, who has a, a track record at the FA at Brighton, has joined Newcastle, done really good work everywhere, and in in the eighteen months or whatever it is that Saudi Arabia the Saudi Arabian investment uh, since the Saudi Arabian investment has arrived at Newcastle, they've already done more to ha- to implement and build a structure at that football club than the Glazers have done in a decade. So like, like so I'm, all not, of that, I'm not. No, but all that matters. All that matters. It absolutely. That's matters. why there's dysfunction on the pitch. It absolutely matters. All I'm saying is that that is a. These are topics that we've covered before and we'll cover again with Manchester United. I just feel like with the Manchester City game, with the changes he made that halftime that we talked about, and then in this game, you know, we've praised Newcastle for what they are and what they stand for under Eddie Howe, and Martin's quite rightly highlighted that that's basically their second team mm-hmm. and a lot of changes. How is it not for players in the dressing room? Regardless of what off on the pitch, and if you're looking around thinking, why the hell is that Hannibal lad in the team? He's useless. But do you, are you not expecting some kind of direction, both in terms of tactics and motivation from the manager at this mo- low moment? And if you're not getting it, that's his fault. Who says he's, they're not getting it? 
they're not. They're not producing. The it. displays suggest that they're not getting. Yeah, but how I many? How many? And, how, many and that, how many head coaches have they done that? This group of players, largely speaking, how many? How many head coaches absolutely. with good reputations half of them have had this happen to them? But half of them are his signings. I mean, the goalkeeper's his. Um, Martinez is his, and he okay. He's not there last night, but he was injured. There's the same problems. You can Casemiro's his signing. Amrabat's a, a player he's brought out. He's, he's signing. Amrabat has Highland come off twice after signing. 45 minutes. And yeah, but, come on, yeah, but why are, they si- why are they signing Amrabat? They're signing a loan, another another loan player because of the dysfunction at the football club. Yeah, but they're signing a... Regulon on loan because but... of that. They signed Sabitzer last year on loan because of that. They signed Vout Vekhorst on loan because of that. They're a shambles. Well, so he yes. has to. He he shouldn't have as much influence over the signings as he does. Well. But Amrabat's not a bad player. I mean, there's a lot of people that will tell you that Amrabat was the real player of the World Cup. You know, and, and, and what he did for Morocco in getting them as far as they did, he he was the player of the World but Cup. There's maybe a reason, okay, there's, but a there's maybe a reason yeah. why why after that sterling display and everyone was like, wow, who's this? No one signed him. Tony? Yeah. Um, just a quick one, right? All of us, think about this, right? Mm-hmm. You train all week, you prepare your team. So you've got 25 professionals, mm-hmm. right? You do your drills, you organise yourself, your team. Can you, any of any of us, find a way of explaining how Man United play? No, I can't. And no, that's, that's kind of my point recently. And that's where I'm trying to bring the conversation that is a back to Eric Ten Hag. That's a manager. Yeah. Because if, if you've got 25 pros, you must be able to find a way of that team performing to some level. It might not be the very best, but it's a way that looks like their team look organised, they can make it difficult for the opposition, they can hurt the opposition. I look at Ten Hag's team and I'm like, I don't really know how they play. Tony, there's a, I, I use this analogy, uh, I've, I don't know if I've used it on here, I've certainly used it in columns and stuff like that. You could send Manchester City out in white t-shirts, not a single marking on them, and after five minutes you'd go... That's Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Yeah. And you could do the same with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. You'd need five minutes and you go, oh, yeah, that's that's a Liverpool team managed by Jurgen Klopp. You would know it. Manchester United, you would need the red shirt, you'd need the crest, you'd need a team sheet. You need and, a name uh, on the back. You need a name on the back and then you'd be able to recognise them as Manchester United. They haven't got that identity that a good team has. You could argue you can do it in Newcastle. You can argue you can do it with uh, uh, with Arsenal. You could certainly do it with, with a David Villa. Moyes. Do with Villa. Certainly do it with Villa. You could certainly do it with any David Moyes team. You can go, oh, yeah, that's that's a, that's a David Moyes team. You 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 can't do it with Manchester United. It's and and funnily enough, the only identity that they have had this season is the one that Ten Hag has just given them, where he's basically said we're a long ball team because we you know we, we I can't trust them to pass it. And if I was Harry Maguire, when Harry Maguire came into the England team. One of the reasons that that he was lauded, one of the reasons that people thought well, we, we, we've, we've got a good, good centre-half here is because he did the old-fashioned English centre-half thing. He was strong in the air. He was, a, he was a big, imposing fella. But he wanted to bring the ball out from the back. He wanted to break into midfield. And I'm not saying it always looked like Beckenbauer, because it didn't. But it didn't look like he couldn't play. It didn't look like the man couldn't play. So for him to hear that the manager thinks that pretty much they can't play must be quite dispiriting. Really, How would you do you your columns? How would you do your columns if the head of uh, sport, you know, you both do columns? <laughs> if, you knew the guy, right. if the guy up top thought you didn't do it very well. How would you respond to that, or kept lecturing you of how? No, I completely agree with that. Absolutely, that is just but fundamentally. I, I, 
can I, I just wanted to come in off the back of what Martin said there and think about Martin's opening point about waiting for Jim Ratcliffe because I think I want you to understand Gregor and because you're representing the kind of I think the Manchester United fan who is in defence of Eric Ten Hag because of the shambles off the pitch and I'm sure there'll be lots of listeners who are United fans thinking the same thing I'm not trying to point at Eric Ten Hag and say he's the problem but thinking about thinking about Martin's point at the start about Jim Ratcliffe and waiting and Tony's point about what's their identity. It, what I'm saying is that he's his bit where he could have said, right, let's just be really solid because I've not got the players and I've not got a good enough setup and I've not got a technical director to find me the best players in Liga and La Liga. I'm going to do my bit and I'm just going to keep coming out and maybe well, I'll lose 2-1 to Newcastle, but we'll play all right and we'll look all right, but I've still got Reggie on, etc. I just feel like it's got to... Recently, this season, increasingly, he's not doing his part of what is a very messed up situation. All the other bits can remain messed up, waiting for Jim Ratcliffe, poor signings, poor squad. But his bit, it's you know, the PR game that we talk about so much, his bit, the chat in interviews where he says funny things like we're a long ball team and I'll never play like Ajax. Hang on a minute, I thought you were hired for that. And the performances on the pitch where you're looking at it and going, what the hell are you doing here? What's your plan, mate? That's where I'm coming from. I almost want him to be doing those things so that we can defend him and say, give this bloke the time but he's not helping himself is all is what I'm kind of getting at and that's where I'm posing the question is he is he on borrowed time now a little bit I think he's you know it, of all the problems that Manchester United have he's, he's at risk of becoming another one of them yeah absolutely I mean because he, he'll know himself that this is always the balance if you're you, you've got you've always got to get enough points enough wins enough results to get the time to to change the club and he's already had a lot of time and like this season they've taken a massive backward step but if you're talking about you want to you want you know why don't we play have a disciplined performance and, and stuff like that look, look look at the front four last night Garnacho, Anthony Hannibal and Martial do you think you're going to get much discipline out of that mob but isn't that also his responsibility but then but then you play, but then but then you also you you know we're saying Amrabat they brought him off at half time mm. the last game. Then they brought him on at half time in this game. Casemiro like was kicking people. He's not fit. Like he he doesn't have he doesn't have the pieces to to put in the puzzle. But he's they're, been they're there, there a while to make to make them disciplined and get those situations. You but know, no, but no one's made Martial disciplined. Garnacho, Garnacho, like I'm not sure he'll ever be disciplined either. He might be good enough on the other side to make it worthwhile. You say, okay, we'll play him because my God, he's he's a maverick. Mm. That that's still still to be yet to be seen. Anthony, look, that's what that's a big thing. That's a big stick that people will continue to be Ten Hag with. Uh, Hannibal, well, I don't know. He's seen some endeavour. How would you play against Anthony? Your fullback. I'd let him do his, his, <laughs> exactly. his, his frivolous step. That's what they're all doing, Gregor. In front of me, yeah. All the fullbacks with uh, Uplak and Anthony again. Do what you want to do, and all your fancy stuff, and then I'll win the ball when I need to. Because that's what he's doing. Every time he gets it, he does these step out. I mean, he's he's like a terrible version of Ronaldo when he, you know, when Ronaldo had that. I mean, there is is there a bad version of Ronaldo? I don't no, know. No, no, it's, no. But, it's a fair but, analogy. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you you for a fullback are so easy to play against. And by the way, they got hold of Ronaldo because yes. Ronaldo was. You know, seven step overs and everything like that, and, and Ferguson and the rest of the team got older and went, no, 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 you, no, you don't, don't do that this. here. We, yeah. You know, we, we don't do that here. And if you remember his first, his first great, great game, 
is against Millwall in the FA Cup when you suddenly look at it and they win three nil and and they go and you look at him and go, I oh, know this is this is a player and that was a much more pared down, less showy version of Ronaldo. And he was never like it again. He, mm. he took on board everything that he learned as a young mm. player at Manchester he's United because he's smart. And he went he went forward with that. What, what the, the point I was making about the, the Jim Ratcliffe situation is they they have somehow contrived to get themselves into another season like the one where they sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and brought in an interim uh, coach that. I must admit, when I first saw who it was and you read what everyone was saying about him, I thought, oh, this is what they need. They want this very, very technical coach and this is what they've lacked under Oli. They don't look a particularly coached team and they look as if it's a little bit thrown together. Now they've got precision. Now they'll have someone who'll, you know, drill them. And, of course, that, that season sort of passed by in a fog, basically. And they seem to have got themselves potentially into that situation again where they're all hanging around um, waiting for this chap to turn up with his team of wizards and, you Mm. know, sort the transfer policy out and sort the direction of the football club out, which isn't going to happen in a transfer window because it never happens in a transfer window. Uh, Not in one. And I know elite clubs can change very, very quickly. Arsenal Arsenal show us that. Um, that they went from, oh, they've got no chance to, oh, suddenly they're title contenders. So you can change things very quickly with enough money, and if you're an elite club, if you're big enough, etc. But there seems so much wrong with Manchester United that you look at that and think, this is this is a good year, two, three transfer windows away from becoming a team that is where Manchester United would want to be. So... You know, and at the moment, they're just drifting and they haven't even started that process yet. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not the next two transfer windows. It's probably this summer is the would be the first one under the Ratcliffe administration. And then there's the next transfer. You know, you're talking about another 18 months. Yeah, or maybe more. Martin. Or maybe more. I mean, and that's if and that's if a bloke who's got 25 percent of the club. He's given the keys to the. He's given the keys to the uh, the train set. Absolutely. Lots whatever of, the lo- metaphor there. Is. Lots, lots, lots <laughs> of ifs and buts. We've had a lot of analogies as well. Yeah. Riddler and Bobby, yeah. Bobby the all Lodger sorts. and all sorts. All sorts. Uh, Plus me slurping my coffee. I've been told, told off by Neil. It's, it's all right. Yeah, those little holes. I can never get. I can. You know. I, why? Why? Be careful what you say. Yeah, I know. Too, from, too much. You know, you put the lid on, and I've, I've never been good. I've never been good with them. Too I've much, never been good with them. Too much caffeine. That's what's getting us excited. Greg, yeah. I just Martin's talked about um, Cristiano Ronaldo, and you know, and improving a player there, and referenced also Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And one of the things he did when he came in, as much as his ta- tactics were limited, he did give a lot of players confidence, and so that was one of the things he was praised for. He's given them the Manchester United identity. Do you think Eric Ten Hag has improved or given any player or players? anything extra since he's taken over he's already been through that cycle that stage of the cycle I know that but I'm, I'm, ask, I'm asking who Dallow, he did Diego yeah. Dallow but then it's you know it's, it's got it's kind of reverting to the mean again a little bit for Dallow again I can't pick out many more to be honest uh, anyone else want to pitch in no yeah, well, I would that, have said look there was that, one, it, Bruno it, got back to something but, again actually it, last isn't season that what he should have been doing then? but yeah, Rash, but, Rashford was the one last season yeah you know that was a big Thumbs Rashford, up. of course, of yeah. course. Sorry, Rashford was the big one last year, mm. but I would be more concerned about Rasmus Hoyland 
because I can see a player starting to go the wrong way. Mm. Even mm. though he came on as a sub last night and he's, but his performances where there was a lot of hope built that Man United would be fine. Once he gets going, he, there's, a, there's a player there you can see. Well, those two goals in the Champions League were yeah. excellent. But I'm not sure with it all falling and going in one direction that he'll get dragged down with it. Because mm. that looks inevitable to yeah. me. Right. But you, want, um, you touched on Marcus Rashford there, Tony. I wanted to ask you, former striker, obviously there was news, news stories this week about him going out uh, on a night out after the Manchester derby. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by these stories. Cause as, a <laughs> as a journalist and editor myself, I'm like, that's a great story. What's he done that for? What an idiot. But then as a as a person myself, I thought if I'd had a bad day at work, you know, the worst day in possible yeah. that you possibly have, I might I might go out as well, treat myself to a nice meal or something, a few cocktails, cheer myself it's up. Birthday, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was his birthday. Yeah, exactly. You know, so give us give us the striker's view on that because I know you've got a story from your career well, as well about going out. Um been there, done it. Yeah, and probably done it too often. And yeah, defeats look, we were in a world that First of all, it was happening quite a lot at many different clubs. I always say the demise of Liverpool from the 80s to, you know, winning everything and got to the 90s and then Fergie turned up, totally changed everything about Man United and you just see that by the players that left the football club that he deemed a problem, uh, certainly socialising and going out um, and that changed and then Liverpool started to go downwards. Um I, I had an experience with Don Howe, the great Don Howe. He was assistant to uh, Ian Portfield at Chelsea. And he, he turned up, it was towards the mid-season, and we went on Ireland to a trip. And I was injured, and I went out on the last night before we came back in Cork. And I got in at two in the morning, and he spotted me in the reception. And he went, um, can I have a word with you tomorrow morning at the airport? And I was like, okay. So he's left me stewing now, but mm. thinking, what is it about? And I know it's because... So did I'm... he just happen to be there? Or he, he... he was up. He was watching people come right. in. He was... Don had eyes everywhere. Don would have been making sure, right, last day trip, they've gone out. I'm going to wait until I see who comes in and, and what people might not be necessary next season. Mm. Anyway, so I get to the airport. I'm thinking, right, Don's going to have a go at me. I've been out. But I, I only had a couple and I say only, but I did go out. And Don's immediately approached me and said, um, all right, he said, um, oh, the Cascarino, I watched play against Adams and Keown uh, against Arsenal. I mean, you and Sheridan are up front. He said, where is he? So I said, what do you mean, Don? I said, I, I know I'm injured on the trip, but I'm, you know, I'm still trying to fight to get fit. He said, no, 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 no. He said, you've had a few moves, haven't you? And he didn't swear once in this conversation, by the way. He didn't say one F in or... I mean, he said, you've had a few moves, haven't you? And I said, yeah, I... Villa and Celtic, Don, yeah. He went, do you make a few quid? And I went, well, yeah, obviously moves, yeah. He went, looks like it. Mm. So I've said, um, <laughs> look, Don, I said, look, Don, I know you've only just come to the club and whatever, but I have, you know, trying to be as good as I can. And he said to me, look, I'll give you an option. How old are you? And I said, well, I'm just coming up to 31, Don. And he said, you're training Monday morning, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, two o'clock, Monday afternoon, me and you, one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to have a training session, just me and you. And I'm thinking, really? Just me and you? And he's gone... Yeah. And you'd never do that. that that's basically no. unheard of. Don was there for everybody. The kids, the older players. That I worked on one-on-one. -on -one. I got back in the team. He told me we had loads of conversations during that period where me and Don would sit down after the training session privately with him. How he saw me. Still, still felt I had a career. Still feel, felt I had something to offer. He told me that he'd spoke to Porters about me. Ian Portfield, and I had a really good end to the season. 
I turned Chelsea around from being the fans, not the favourite, not getting a bit of stick. Um, and he all, he all he also lectured me on your responsibility of not going out mm. for any reason. Um, now it's a different world for Marcus Rashford, but I wouldn't. I if I was sitting to him now, say, Mark, Mark, Marcus, this is obvious. This such a short career. Whatever you do, just if you're going to have a drink, go back to your own house, have some people round. Don't go out to China Whites. Okay, don't go out mm -hmm. because you're just asking for trouble. It is a different world. But I could give you loads more that Don said to me and, and it was all done with trying to make me understand how privileged I was to be a footballer and you will never get this time back again. Mm. So don't waste it. I ended up playing from 31 to 38. I stood by every word Don had told me. And I'm, I'm, did you did you adapt your kind of going out and stuff? I'm not yeah, saying you then it, immediately stopped, stopped, it. stopped, stopped it. But you did. I didn't. I stopped it completely. Yeah. I, did, I had to realise I, I needed to stop being one of the lads because I was the one that I always battled a bit with my weight. Anyway, if I, you know, if I, I mean, I laugh. I, to a really brief story. I, me and Sheridan went away to uh, Lanzarote with Millwall, and I room with him, and I decided because he had a six pack and was just incredibly fit. I, I thought I'm going to eat and drink everything he does for the whole week. Right. right, so we were training in Lanzarote. Me and him, I, I, I every breakfast meal was exactly the same as Teddy's. When he had a drink, I had a drink. What Didn't was he having then? Like, I was just Teddy was having just normal a bit of fry up and yeah. all that. And I was, <laughs> I, he was picking. I was picking. We came away from that week. I weighed myself at the old den. I put on six pound and he'd lost two. <laughs> <laughs> right? Can't fight that metabolism, can no. you? No. Well, it, years down the line, I had an underactive thyroid and Teddy had an overactive one, which I mean, didn't matter too much because I wouldn't have cared. But my whole idea, what I'm trying to say is, I got seven years extra on my career all because of that one meeting. I, if anyone said to me about Marseille, Nancy and everything that happened to me afterwards, playing to Ireland for another five years, I would say it was all down to Don Howe because he cared about me. And this is a part of the, where we talked about with managers and coaches. If you're, if you realise that Marcus is a good player and you can get him to play his best football because he did last year, don't let him come off that circus. Get get away from it. Get mm. away from it. You can do that all after your career if you want to. Mm. You can do loads more. One but, thing I would say is, maybe, like, I would be even surprised if Marcus Rash Marcus Rashford was having a drink at all. Mm. Uh, the thing no, is, it's perceptions. It yes, it yeah. doesn't matter if he did or not. Actually, because we're having this conversation, it's just the perception that nowadays. You've just you just booked your birthday party for the for the night after you're playing in a Manchester derby, and your your team's not doing very well. It's just the person you know that. And not... someone shocked him as well. Well, because it ends up in the it ends up but in that's the what papers. Because that's what happens when your yeah. team's not doing well. You, you immediately think, oh, it's probably some Man City fan or whatever, but it, it possibly not. It's possibly some disgruntled Manchester United fan or, or whatever that if they'd have won 3-0, would have loved to be in the same place as Marcus Rashford. But as they got beaten 3-0, he's <laughs> phoned someone up and gone, here, you'll never guess who was in China yeah. Whites until the, the small hours that or, or whatever. That happened to me at Villa. I, yeah. I went to Ireland on a day, flew in and out. Uh, I got back and I only just joined and Graham Taylor call, uh, called me in the office. I'd only mm. been there two weeks. He went, did you mm. go to Ireland yesterday? And I went, um, yeah, I did. I thought, oh, I can't get out of this. I did. So he went, yeah, he said that someone told me you was in at East Midlands Airport. 
There you go. And it's like the Fergie thing, isn't it? That's what he They're knew. That's yeah. what he find out. Oh, he had, he had I said, I mean, we were talking before, and there's the famous story about uh, about Alex and and turning up at I think I'm pretty sure it's Lee Sharp's house. Yeah, it was Lee in Sharp, in, yeah. in full evening dress, where he was at a function, <laughs> and someone said to him, "God, there's a party going off at uh, Lee Sharp's house tonight. I live down his road or whatever." However, he came to find out about it. And Fergie gets straight in a, either a car or in a cab or whatever, suited and booted, evening tie, uh, evening suit and bow tie and everything, and bang, bang, bang on the door, and someone opens the door, and it's the manager standing there in formal wear, and uh, the party was shut down, I think, within about five minutes, basically, and... And that was the beginning of the end for for a lot of guys, uh, you know. But they were great guys, those uh, Don Howe and Dave Sexton, that era guy, because they would let players let off steam. Uh, You know, they they it wasn't it wasn't some Spartan regime, but it had to be at the right time. I mean, I could I used to go on under twenty one trips when I started out, and Dave Sexton was was the manager, and I can remember one where they won it. Uh, the Toulon tournament they won and you know Dave, Dave basically said to all the boys um, that the coach leaves at 8 o'clock um, tomorrow morning make sure you're on it and that was his only instruction about the night because they'd won the tournament I think he even said to someone have the FA given you your regulation condoms and, and you know little jokes like this and stuff by the same token in another under 21 tournament where uh, we decided to have a party uh, that was taking place in my room, which was with all the with the, the team, and there was about three or four journalists, and we all went came back and we uh, brought all this booze back and and stuff like that. And there was a uh, Plymouth goalkeeper, was a guy called Mark Nichols. Can you remember Peter Shilton championed this guy? Right, okay. terrible, terribly sad story. He, he died at a, a very young age, and um, and Mark had a party trick. Which is probably not the best party trick for a professional footballer to have, which is that he could um, smoke twenty cigarettes at once. Um, <laughs> he'd get the packet and he'd tap them out, and he'd put them all in his mouth, and he'd light the lot, and he'd keep them there, and just smoke them all down, basically. And uh, I don't know why it was hysterical, but it was it was hysterical. And so the party was in full swing. Mark was doing this party piece the 20 fags at once. He had a bottle of beer in both hands and there was a knock on the door. <laughs> and he's opened the door and it's Dave Sexton, his goalkeeper sitting there with 20 fags in his breath and a bottle of beer in each hand. And and I can remember the, the, the coating that the players were given by Dave around the swimming pool the following day. There was a, the yeah. hotel had a swimming pool. And there's some very, very famous names on that trip. Very famous. Guys that had... I mean, fabulous careers. Virtually won everything in football on that mm. trip, and they were all there. And um, you know, and that was the different side of Dave because I think we were one match into the tournament at, at this stage when this party was taking place. Maybe if we if we'd have won it and that had been the night after, 
he wouldn't he would no, have no had would it, would had no problem with maybe maybe he would have had a problem with twenty fags at once. Yeah, but, I'm uh, sure he might have done. It's still <laughs> something that puts it in context certainly for Marcus Rashford's little 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 <laughs> birthday treat after the Manchester derby. Um, chat fascinating debate around Manchester United and some great stories as well from the past. Uh, if you're a Manchester United fan and you don't agree with anything we've talked about, or maybe you do agree, I'd be fascinated to hear your thoughts on Eric Ten Hag. You can email me tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, stick with us. We're going to be talking about the Saudi Arabian World Cup next. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I'm joined by Tony Cascarino, Gregor Robertson and Martin Samuel. Now, up next, I'm going to read the intro to a column by one of the members of the team today. There was a strange sound from the federations and associations when the 2034 World Cup was presented, gift-wrapped to Saudi Arabia this week. Silence. No protests, no armbands, no t-shirts, no statements, no rebellions, no condemnations, not even a hastily convened meeting. There will be a ratification process next year, but with Australia out, it is a formality. This flies. Saudi Arabia wins. FIFA wins. Oil money wins, as always. Martin Samuel, that was the start you of your... You short of that, uh, the next line. Oh, of your gag. <laughs> but don't worry. No, I'm going to have to say it now. The rest of the world will simply lie there and let it wash over them like a golden shower. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just when all the people, analogies and stories yeah, were yeah, yeah, people posting at the bottom of that does Martin Samuel know what this means goes, yes he does yes he does but not onto the joke onto yeah. the um, substance of that very uh, interesting intro from you from that piece that you wrote on Tuesday I mean how do we feel about this Saudi Arabian World Cup which is is now a formality as you say it is a formality yeah. well I, I feel exactly as I wrote there look um, it has always been my belief that the federations can resist the sighting of a World Cup, that the federations could have resisted the sighting of the World Cup in 
Qatar. They could resist this as well. But they won't because everybody is too uh, indebted to Saudi Arabian money now as they were to Qatari money. Because if you look at being Sports' list of clients, um, their list of broadcast contracts, you can see why in the end there was no great pushback uh, from the major European nations because it's the Bundesliga, it's the Premier League, it's La Liga and it's Serie A and it's everything and it's the Champions League. So everybody is involved in being sports and I'm pretty sure it was in the Times, it might even have been on this page. Yeah, there we go. Um, so there's a study um, and it says that Saudi has got uh, 314 uh, separate sports sponsorships at the moment. And that's across all sport. That's not just across football. But that's my point, is that there, there, will be, there will be no pushback against this because um, the Italian Super Cup has gone to Saudi and become a four-team tournament. The Spanish Super Cup is in Saudi and is now a four-team tournament. They own Newcastle United. So everyone is in some way, and everyone likes selling their players to the Saudi Pro mm. League because, you know, that's got a, a few out of trouble with the financial fair play this summer. So, in the end, there wasn't any great put. You haven't heard a peep out of the various federations this time, and I don't think you will. And do, everyone but, will just vote it through. So do you think there should be, and do you think we can... Therefore- are you suggesting that we can divorce the, all those things you've outlined, the Super Cups and the Newcastle ownership and things? Do you think we are allowed to divorce that from this yeah, and and, I, I do. and I, protest a Saudi Arabian World Cup in a way and also say it's okay for them to own Newcastle Yeah, because United? one is private business. Right. So, uh, you know, one is private business. It's in Newcastle United is, is private business, same as there is a Saudi interest in Uber, same as there's now a Saudi interest in Disney, all the companies that, are, you know, it's like saying... Oh, you can't protest the uh, Qatar World Cup if you worked for the Times because they own the building that we're recording this in. Yeah, but one's business. You're not saying that you cannot trade with this country, do anything, you know, because fundamentally you can. Yeah, but are Newcastle not more than a business? No, they're, they're, they're a business. They're a business. That's what, that's what they are. They're Newcastle United um, Limited. Um, and the distinction I make with a World Cup is a, a World Cup is a... Is, is a public property and everyone should be able to feel welcome at the World Cup. Everybody feels welcome at Newcastle United. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're gay, you've got a decision to make with your own conscience, whether you feel, whether you feel happy going there and whether it's something that you can, um, whether it's something that you can um, attend, it's a place you can attend, you know, happily. But there's no suggestion that you will be made to feel unwelcome or self-conscious or, or, or other if you went to St James's Park. None at all. Not exactly the same, perhaps, in Saudi Arabia. So do you think the World Cup should not be in Saudi Arabia? Or I do don't you think, think there the should World just Cup be, in some be anywhere where everybody can't go and feel happy and feel comfortable and be themselves? I, I, you know that that as as a rule of thumb, if if you're if you're serious about it being about the fans and football for all, it should be in places 
where everyone can feel comfortable mm. and happy. It's quite, quite. I mean, how many countries in the world are highly dangerous? You know, we go to our next World Cup, which is in America, Mexico and Canada. Mm. Now, America's not the safest place, is it? I would say that Mexico's even more dangerous. South America, I know it's Central America, uh, Mexico, but if you look at South America and having World Cups, you know... I, I'm not sure where you can take the World Cup sometimes. But I think there's a difference between, like, sort of danger and a, I don't know, a criminality type mm. uh, idea of, you know, is, is it a... So, you know, South Africa uh, was made safe by putting, was it 50,000 extra policemen or police... Well, it was know, a huge presence. Yeah, it was a police, huge yeah. police presence in South Africa and, and that rendered the country safe for five or six weeks in a way that um, it isn't... Russia changed. Often. Russia changed as well. It changed. They completely changed the, yeah. the way that the country operated while they hosted the World while Cup. While the World Cup, and then everyone it? went home. They went back to old Russia. Oh, but that's what happens, man. That but is, the, you know. Uh, I, I think it's also important to say at the point out that, like, it would be ext- you'd have to go to extreme lengths. Martin's right. Like countries, we <laughs> and other UEFA nations, largely speaking, could kick up a fuss, but they'd have to go to extreme lengths because we're irrelevant now. Because yes. there are two hundred and eleven member uh, member mm. nations UEFA has 55 votes and Infantino has has worked the room, worked the room enough that he's got almost all of the rest on lockdown CONCAF mm. which is nor- uh, North and Central America has 41 votes Africa has 54 votes the Asian Football F- Confederation has 47 votes he's got them all on lockdown the only mm. other one is South America but they think they've only got 9 or 10 despite yeah. their despite stats their state, yeah, history. 14 and I think they've got 14 is it it's, yeah, is, it, is it that many? Okay. Well, so, and they're they're historically kind of been what been able to shift their mm. uh, their affiliation. It's also a battle between UEFA and FIFA. Like that's mm. it. Because it? because UEFA are, are sorry, FIFA are, are kind of side, siding with Saudi Arabia. I think uh, you know building a, a real alliance. To also take on the club game, to take on UEFA's mm. sort of power in, in the club game, because UEFA has, you know, has the Champions League, has the European Championship, has so many profitable uh, competitions mm. that dwarf the revenue that the World Cup, mm. the World Cup, I think, generates mm. about 8 billion euros. And I think UEFA uh, generate about three times that over yeah. the same four year period from their competitions. So they're now taking them on with the Club World Cup and, and stuff. So mm. there's, there's so much like politicking <laughs> taking mm. place here. But the the important thing to say is like Martin's right, but they would have to almost boycott. Oh yeah, I mean this is they would have but, to boycott. But that is but that that's the sort of threat I'm talking about, and which is why the piece was uh there was a there was a sort of dual uh, dual points were being made. One, you could stop this, and this is the way to stop it. But two, it ain't going to happen mm. Um, mm. because the boycott is, is, and that's how they stopped. That's how the UEFA. Yeah. Um, clubs stopped the idea of readmitting Russia by the back door, the sort of thin end of the wedge readmittance of Russia, which was going to be in under seventeen tournaments. That was going to be the start of it. The, the Russian age group teams were going to be allowed back into UEFA competition, so they were going to be allowed to quali- try to qualify for the, I think it was the under seventeen European Championships, and then that would. Also, uh, then also be able to qualify for the Under-17 World Cup. And to be fair, it was our football association and then football associations from Scandinavian countries and from the Baltic states and obviously from Ukraine itself that said, well, 
if if you do that and they draw us, we're not going to play them. Um, and then this suddenly created a, a, a big problem for UEFA because if Russia progress from the group by default because the other two or three countries say, well, no, we're not playing them, then they get to the finals itself. And then teams at the final start saying, well, we're not playing them. Then the whole tournament falls apart in front of their eyes. Yeah. And so it was meant to be, the, this readmittance was meant to be ratified by uh, UEFA at their, at their next meeting. And they didn't even put it onto the agenda because, it, you know, they were, threat, they were threatened basically with a boycott. Mm. Isn't it the the ma- same thing could happen, but it won't. Now, but I mean, could you also imagine the optics when if the FA was to boycott a World Cup in Saudi Arabia when Saudi Arabia and Newcastle United. I know there are a lot of other business ties, but mm. this is actually a, a direct a, a link di- tie to the Premier League. So, like, I, I know totally. that we're talking about the world of like business and Versus, Saudi, Ara- yeah. Saudi Arabian investment mm. in, in a huge, like, di- hugely diverse range of businesses and industries. But Newcastle was one was one aspect of a, a strategy. Mm. To, to 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 buy sport to buy to buy yeah. into so that, that's why I say fundamentally it matters why why Saudi Arabia invested in Newcastle it matters and they're not just a private business they they also rep, they also are something that represent a wider public concern just like the World Cup does it does yeah. it, I was going to just add it the, the finance of it if you look at back at um, South Africa which I think was FIFA made about two and a half billion would that be right. About two yeah. and a half billion. Mm. By the time it got to Qatar, it was nearly nine and a half billion. Mm. So you look at Saudi Arabia by thirty-four, you're probably talking twenty billion. Mm. So, mm. so FIFA get caught up in all this as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to come back to Gregor's point about ownership and Manchester City and Newcastle in a minute. But Tony, you obviously played in the nineteen ninety-four World Cup, and you mentioned in America. In yeah. America, you know, from the outside, like that was a tournament that was still trying to showcase America wasn't it and mm. they had the glitz and the glamour and you had Diana Ross missing that penalty and the goal breaking <laughs> apart And but was that more as innocent as I'm making it out or you know and for Martin as well as a journalist at the time or was there kind of discussions around this is a bit we're trying to you know sell football to America did you feel that as a player going over there or well, was you, it more innocent you left your hotel uh, I'm sure Martin would have been out there reporting oh, on it. You sure. left your hotel, and if you spoke to anybody in the street, most Americans were asking what was going on. Yeah. Um, you got to the games, and it was huge support from everybody. You know, the Island game was the New York Giants Stadium. There was 96,000 there. It was incredible, and other matches. Biggest attendance is, it's still the biggest attendance in the history of the World Cup, yeah. in 1994. And they cheered, if you remember, Tony, they cheered goal kicks. Yeah. And they cheered if the goalkeeper kicked it out of his hand. They because it, and it sounds very patronising, but in a crowd of ninety six thousand, say yeah. there will only be so many that actually understand what's going on the sport. Mm. In the same way that I've been to an NFL match, and I'm not going to pretend for one second that I really understand NFL, but mm. you know I, I appreciate it, it being in the stadium. Um, and so. <laughs> the goalkeeper would, would kick it out of uh, of his hands and the crowd would cheer as if mm. something really fantastic had happened because the sports that they were looking, you know, the field sports that they were uh, familiar with 
gaining yardage is a, is a huge thing. So they would look at it as, mm. as yard, yardage gained. And anyone who's like looking at it, See, there is it's a, a goal kick. There is a sort of backstory to it as well. My dad was living in America in, uh, from the early 90s, 92 he left and stayed there till he died. And um, I saw the growth in football when I went out into Pennsylvania and women's football was enormous in Pennsylvania. Mm. Plus there was, the, there was, a, there was a big void in, in sport in America because every sport the Americans did were big. So if you were need to be American football, you had to be huge. Basketball, you had to be huge. So they there was a huge population that Baseball weren't big. Well. But yeah, all, all of them. All everybody was big. All guys. the American sports were all about big. So there was a big void of people that suddenly got onto soccer and started enjoying it and playing it. And so I saw that early doors and it wasn't like the 70s when the players went out and got all the money like a bit what they're doing in Saudi Arabia mm, now. Mm. This was way different. There was a much bigger goal in America to try and Im- to try and bring soccer to America with the idea of could, with America's population, one day win the World Cup mm. because they've got such an, uh, you know, an amazing uh, support and population of, of Spanish and you know, South American that would be there, Mexicans, that they could somehow find a way in sport, in soccer, and make a big impact. That's been the drive for 20, 30 years. So I saw the idea of America and got it. It was just weird being part of it mm. because it really did... And until you left the old, I mean, even that, I remember at the hotel one day, I get in the lift and um, it was Star Trek convention in the hotel. And I'm standing next to Captain Kirk in the lift with Ray Outen <laughs> as we're coming out. And, the, and they were just asking us what we're doing. I'm talking to Captain Kirk. <laughs> I, I was going to ask if it was simpler days, but it turns out it absolutely was um, <laughs> much simpler times. But coming back to the, the, the topic of Saudi Arabia and Gregor, something you talked about, because it's, um, you know, with the ownership of Premier League clubs, Manchester City, uh, Newcastle, by kind of Middle Eastern states, if you like, or businesses. Do you think that for those clubs, because this is a um, listener question, Trevor Makins got in touch after Monday's show where we talked about the Manchester derby and I kind of flippantly said, oh, City were in second gear, weren't they nice? Let's move on and talk about Manchester United. And he said, City don't really get the credit they deserve for football. I'm trying to link it to this topic because is it does it make it hard this kind of us talking in big big terms around the future of football and this investment and where the money comes from and where the power lies does it mean that as we do with Newcastle where we kind of say oh they're great but they are owned by you know the PIF etc does it make it hard for us as journalists to praise the football teams and the football when we're just saying oh they've got all the money they've signed Erling Haaland etc I think people take take their own view on that as a as a journalist or somebody who watches football I think like personally, we've had this conversation many times, and I, I, I have to come to a point where I, where I divorce it because I love football and I love watching mm. and analysing the sport in front of me, and I don't like a lot of the things about where football is going and sport more broadly and Saudi Arabia's investment and in, and in, in basically a attempted coup of most of it is what is a big part of that. Mm. But I still love football and what's on the pitch, and you have to you have to at some point divorce yourself from everything else around it, but. I would say that we kind of need to be like on guard here because they've they've won they've won the World Cup in the space of uh, what eighteen months? Ten minutes. Yeah, like uh, you know, it was it's uh, you know, yeah. click their fingers and they've bought the World Cup. There's no question that they're coming for 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 club football as well. So all the things that Martin's talking about there about you know um, nations and and federations, ultimately you would have to boycott to stop the World Cup going to Saudi Arabia. Mm. Clubs, clubs do have that. Will have that power. 
Like they they will they will have that power, but it might come to a point where, when when there's through getting so much money thrown at them, and there's so many vested interests, like like they already have, uh, you know, they already own Newcastle, where like and there's so much so much so many you know hedge funds, American investment, who you yeah. know they're there to make money. So if they see we've already had the Super Without League uh, Super League attempt. And there's even you know, and some the talk Super that League there was attempt, so- by the way, the, the the driving force for the Super League wasn't actually the money from the Middle East. It was the American venture capitalists, and uh, uh, you know, in, in league with yeah. the, the, the big Spanish clubs or so, whatever. It was the American venture capitalists. So it, it's all that. It, 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 I, I totally agree with you. Greg. So the club game needs basically needs to be on guard, and and mm. also we need to watch, like because we've already let a lot of a lot of people with. You know, a lot of investment into the game, who hold the keys to 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 many of our biggest and kind of most famous and vaunted institutions, who will have the I say, so but like Saudi have already done. They followed the same model that Qatar did, because Qatar got the World Cup, um, but even before they got the World Cup, being sports was. You know, getting bigger and bigger, and we're having um, have massive contracts with all of these major European leagues. And then, when it all comes together, it's so. Do you want to protest about this, or do your clubs like the money from being sports for your overseas rights and and, and yeah. stuff like that? And in the end, everyone went. No, oh, actually, yeah, we like the money. Mm. Yeah, we like the money. Also, um, like. Also, how you know how volatile this is and could potentially could be. You know, we saw with uh, Roman Abramovich, like when something happened, mm. and <laughs> when when the Russia invaded Ukraine, that was gone, that was over. You know, there's there's you know a lot of unrest in the Middle East just now. Like this is all football. It's all so complicated well, it now. Moves that so quickly as well. They, I mean, I know I'm only a thick spoke journalist that doesn't understand geopolitics, but um, if you look at um, <laughs> If if you look at where this World Cup was meant to be going, if you from five years back where we all thought it was going, was uh, China, and what has happened in that last five years is the balance of power with this investment in sport and football and this takeover has moved away from China and into Saudi Arabia. Why so many English clubs? Um, are owned, have got Chinese ownership, is that a few years ago, our government was very, very keen, very, very keen on Chinese investment in football. It is now very keen on Saudi Arabian investment in football because I tell you what, if the FA were to try to lead a boycott of the uh, 2034 World Cup, the first phone call would be the Foreign Office on line one saying, what the hell do you think you're doing? Pretty much what happened to the Premier League with the Newcastle takeover, where we know for a fact there was enormous back-channeling going on from the government right to the very top, right to the very top, to put pressure on the Premier League to get this over the line because we are friends with Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. The most depress like the most depressing thing is that is your there's like the helplessness. He's, do you, <laughs> Infantino has revealed himself to be more power and and by the looks of it money hungry than even set blatter before him. Mm-hmm. And if that was indeed possible. And there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well there's there's a cheery note to end this uh, d- debate on. Uh, you said about divorcing 
ourselves from this debate sometimes because we love football. And so let's finish on football. Um, one of the things we sometimes fail to do with the nature of our shows being on Mondays and Thursdays is discuss a big game on a Monday. Uh, and there's one coming this weekend. Chelsea against Tottenham. Mauricio Pochettino uh, playing against Tottenham with his Chelsea side for the first time. This is a game we picked out, Martin, as one of the big games of the yeah, weekend. Yeah. Um, I want to talk first about Nicholas Jackson, the Chelsea striker. Um, he's been in the news for his kind of interactions with fans, should we say. Um, Tony, I mean, it's to be expected, isn't it? Interactions with supporters, uh, supporters shouting Before things to Tony you. Before Tony answers this, can, I just, can I just say that the, 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 the genesis of this particular question comes from the comment from the, uh, from the crowd that Mauricio Pochettino took um, exception to, which was somebody shouting at Nicholas Jackson, wake up. Now, as someone who's played at Millwall, <laughs> would wake up be one of the tamer uh, comments that um, you've uh, that you've you heard in your playing career? He was well, really good at Millwall. They all said nice things. <laughs> well, I played for four clubs uh, of all the other clubs because Villa was lovely. Every fans at Villa were really uh, complimentary of just being nice to you, even if you play badly. But I played Millwall, Celtic. Marseille and Chelsea. Oh yeah. Okay. Wake so up. them four in themselves. Um, if I'd have got caught, if I had someone shouting "Wake up," I would have probably said, "Well, I've got a flightly today." Um, <laughs> it's a bit of an understatement, but um, yeah. What's the best? You what's the what's the worst you, you heard? No, well, I, is it repeatable? Honestly, on my uh, my second game for Millwall. Um, and I didn't play particularly well in the first, but I'd just been bought for 200 grand. I ran out of the old den, and all I heard was, Cascarino, get that effing piano off your back. <laughs> so I thought, I'm only in me for this, me, this is my own debut. Right, I've just been paid a record free by Millwall. And look, as you boys know, you go to Millwall, you're going to hear a lot of abusive, foul language, and, and it ain't pleasant uh, at times. Um, uh, of a certain generation, we sort of get on with it. I think it surprises people that are a bit younger when they first go to Millwall. Mm. But I could add a few other clubs in there that you know you go to. I I always take stick with a pinch of salt. Really, I, I always felt the only way I could change an opinion was why what I did when I crossed the white line and when I played. And if Nicholas Jackson's is getting a wake up, don't worry about it. Yeah. Just be more concerned Maybe wake about. Up. Yeah, <laughs> just wake up and get. You know, I find it where we're going down the road where everything's sanitized so much now. That even a, a comment that's even slightly, you know, a bit disingenuous, and we're really going to take that that serious? Mm. I just think we've got to get real. Yeah. Well, I said we were going to talk about football, and I've ended up talking about fan abuse <laughs> yeah. off the sideline. But we're, we're edging closer <laughs> to the pitch. So back, let's cross that white line and let's get onto the pitch in yeah. terms of the football. It's obviously another big game for Ange Postacoglu, mm. but it's a really big game for Pochettino, isn't it, Martin? In terms of yeah. as work, he had a little period with Chelsea where we started going, ooh, yeah, got a bit about like them. That, that Arsenal turn, game, yeah. Yeah. and then we start going, oh, maybe they've not, they lose to Brentford. Where do you think they're at in this well, season? The, pro the problem is, <laughs> is that when it's bad at Chelsea, it doesn't seem to matter what 11 he puts on the pitch. Mm. The problem's all in the same areas, which is, is, is slightly worrying. You know, you'd think if you change the personnel, oh, well, the defence is a lot tighter, but we're, we're not getting into the, the, the positions, forward positions that we thought, oh, oh, we look very, very creative, but, you, you know, we've sacrificed a bit of security at the back. When Chelsea uh, are poor, it doesn't matter what the 11 is, you know, 
they can't score goals, and the end product isn't isn't quite there. The the the, the you know the accuracy of the end product isn't there, and they can't keep keep a clean sheet. Um, Nicholas Jackson is interesting because when we were talking before, and I, I made the point that you look at you you look at Jackson, he scores. Um, nine and eight was it? We we looked at Gregor nine. I think it's nine and eight in his last eight games for Villarreal. So he scores just at the time when everyone is preparing for the summer transfer window. Just at the time when there's hmm. you know agents phoning around clubs and saying you want to have a look at my boy. He's on fire at the moment or whatever. But if you look at the rest of the season, I think he scores four goals. Hmm. So he had this fantastic. Yeah. Is four it? And yeah, four and twenty. Right. So he has this fantastic purple patch at the end of last season. Now, if you're buying a striker, and I know that they had Nkunku, and and um, uh, he maybe wouldn't have had as much on his shoulders as, as he's got at the moment. But if you're buying a striker whose form suggests that he's very, very streaky, and that you know he needs that momentum. And you're taking him from the Spanish league straight into the Premier League and the elite part of the Premier League as well. There is a chance that he's going to take a few games to uh, get used to that. And he's not going to be able to build that momentum that he suddenly had at the end of last season. Now, it also suggests that at some stage it will come. But it's different. And you just got a little bit. I just felt there was just a little bit of tension in Pochettino taking great umbrage at someone shouting wake up because it just seemed such a sort of Trivial. mild thing mm. to say you're thinking why has that touched a nerve yeah. with, the, with the manager Tony we talked earlier about Eric Ten Hag and signings and players and people who've improved Chelsea obviously had a huge influx of players and talent of varying kinds as Martin's alluded to there with Nicholas Jackson what have you made of his season so far in terms of players that either he's brought in or that he's inherited in terms of looking at it and going Mm, he's getting something out of him that he's that he seems to be improving this potential here. Um, it's a real tough one because I mean I watching the Brentford game I I was immediately I was so concerned that Chelsea had no idea how to get past the block, and that was what Brentford did really well. So they kept getting stuck. And Conor Gallagher, who's a you know was went out on loan at Crystal Palace, got goals on a regular basis. He's come back to Chelsea and he couldn't get beyond the block. And now, Nicholas Jackson's not even holding the ball up. He's not the best shooter in the world. I don't know any of you boys with the... Mm. He's not shooting. The it's really weird for a yeah. centre-forward. There's no conviction in his strike. Mm. Um, I like the midfield of Gallagher, and when Fernandes is in there, and Calcedo, I think that's a really nice, balanced midfield. But beyond them, it's very much the two wide guys. I mean, Carl Palmer looks a, a really good player. Yeah. Um, we all knew that anyway. Um, Sterling's very hit and miss but when he's on he can get past people um, I think it's really tricky for Poch because he hasn't got a team that performed beyond 60 minutes uh, and that's been really noticeable that I've seen first half against uh, sorry second half against Liverpool in the opening game of the season remember thinking Chelsea have really made it difficult for Liverpool made mm -hmm. Liverpool look quite you know quite average at times and Liverpool aren't as we know but I've seen that quite often where they've been they did it against Arsenal played really really well against Arsenal mm -hmm. for half a game in the second half you know they could have ended up losing it and I think that's a challenge look at their games they've got over the next six seven games mm -hmm. they're massive challenges for Chelsea because I think he's still spinning plates over a number of positions obviously fullbacks having Reese James out and I'm still not sure if Carl Will's as good as what I'm being told 
or what everyone leads me to believe that he's going to be a real top player. I still think Thiago Silva's definitely their best defender by a country mile uh, in the heart of their defence. So there's massive challenges. I'm I'm not convinced that Chelsea are going to have a good run up until Christmas. I think they, at the moment they're probably going to end up where they are now and, and get beat a few more times. Gregor, think, final word from you on Chelsea. Yeah, I think look, Rhys James obviously came back in last night and he's we've said it so many times, him and Chilwell are just so, so important for them. I think Chilwell's going to be a wee bit longer. But that even allows, you know, Kukurel has been often been playing at right back, although he's a left back. Mm. Allows, allows him to get in there. And Colwell could go to the centre half and he's been mm. playing at left back. So it allows allows them potentially to have a bit more balance in that, that back back four. The thing is put Well okay, the, you the said earlier no, but Gregor, you said earlier that Hannibal wouldn't have got in any of the Man United teams. Were you saying that Colwell would have got in any of the Chelsea teams? No, but I mean, season? no, but I mean that that's been a shift because as, I mean Martin and I were talking about this earlier. The, the whole project has been about moving on, uh, proven winners over a where there's a bank of evidence that, that shows what players are capable of. They've played at the highest level for mm. a long, long time, and replacing it all with potential. Mm. That's that's mm. that's the plan. Yeah, and Colwell falls into that category, and you know, I think it'd be fascinating to one one day go back through all the players, all the Chelsea players that could have been Chelsea players <laughs> because they had, they had this amazing academy and all it did was generate cash for them and they, you know, they've already farmed mm. them out on loan so now they're actually getting a chance and yeah I agree there's more to come from like the, you need to see a bit more from him but I think he's he's got all the attributes I think he could be a mm. big player and there's, there's a reason why he's he's already been called up for England but the thing I was going to say was Postacoglu's just making everyone look bad mm. Mm. Oh, that was, the, my, that was my final thing are Tottenham favourites to win this we yeah. all think Tottenham will win yeah, yeah, you got a fancy Tottenham, haven't you? You got a fancy Tottenham. I, th- I got a sneaky feeling that it could end up being a stalemate. I was going to say you've got your draw face on. I could yeah. see it because all the all the caveats that we're talking about with all these clubs, with Chelsea, with Man United, you know, they're they're real, but they were they were kind of there with Spurs too, and you know, Postecoglou's oh, come in absolutely. and just banished them all. It's like I don't really care about any of that side yeah. stuff. I'm not even going to address it. I'll just say, look, I'll just get on, get on with my job and deal with it, mate. I so thought like, he said something absolutely fantastic when he when he first took over, um, and he was asked about uh, his his career and with Tottenham, and, and he said, you know, mate, he said, I've got to be absolutely perfect to this point. He said because I come from Australia, so if at any stage in my career I hadn't done a good job, I'll do the accent if you want to do. Go you for it, come on, perfect way to finish. And it's like. If at any stage in my career I'd done, I'd, uh, done a bad job he said I'd been out I'd have just been out that'd have been it that'd have been because I came from Australia so I've got no no I can't keep on doing this <laughs> it's, it's, it's borderline racist um, if not completely racist but the but he said that if at any point He'd, he'd have messed up he would never have got another job in football again because you don't come from North Melbourne and someone goes oh we'll give him a second chance you know if it had gone wrong for him at Celtic that would have, that would have been it that would have been it for him in Europe or uh, everything so he's, he's done a fantastic job I was very amused the other day um, to see like, a couple of comments and, and, and stuff like that and someone saying you know like what Manchester United have got wrong and you know where were they you know imposter <laughs> Poster Coglu was available, and I'm thinking, 
if Manchester United had appointed yeah. Ange Postacoglu as their manager, the fans would have gone absolutely berserk. It is the most retrofitted idea I could possibly imagine. Like now that they're top of the league, oh, everyone could see that Postacoglu was going to be a genius, which it wasn't true when he took over. You thought. He's done a good job at Celtic. You know, he needs, he deserves a chance. But no one was saying, oh, Manchester United have missed a trick here, not sacking Ten Hag in the summer and getting Ange Postacoglu in. No it, one was It would have that. been quite the move. And we'll see if Ange Postacoglu can get another win and keep Tottenham top of the table in that game on Monday. We've not mentioned any of the other games on the weekend, but we will be discussing them on Monday's show. So stick with us and make sure you check back in then. Gregor Robertson, Tony Cascarino and Martin Samuel, thank good you night. for joining me. Very good. <laughs> nice way to finish and good day to you as well hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.